You're listening to Sacks in the Basement, a production of the Broadcast Basement Limited, where every show is 30 minutes of good and comes from a basement bar on the south side of Chicago. Pull up a stool, pour a cold one, and join us right now for Sacks in the Basement. Heard everywhere podcasts can be found and always at SacksInTheBasement.com. So you asked me before we sat down here, flipped on the microphones at the nine foot homemade oak bar. Are we going to talk about the new play by play guy? Are we going to talk about Jason Benetti's replacement? And all I can say is I've never heard him before. No, like I, I, I honestly, I mean, I, I, I don't watch a lot of basketball. I can't have an opinion on him. Like he's really gung ho. Of course, we're the greatest fans that have ever walked the face of the earth. We're the most knowledgeable fans that ever walked the face of the earth. And we don't put up with any garbage. And, and I love that he's saying that. I can't wait till he finds out that the team, even though they fed him those lines, they don't actually treat us that way. They treat us like we're a bunch of rubes. But he'll learn, and then we'll see what he's like when he's doing play-by-play. Look, my only thing about a play-by-play guy, whether it be radio or whether it be television, is be capable of knowing when to talk and when to shut up, of knowing what the pulse of the crowd is, of understanding when you're doing TV that I already see it on the screen so you're supposed to be bringing something else. And when you're on the radio, you need to paint a picture because I can't see what's happening. And those have been my only complaints about anybody that's ever broadcasted a White Sox radio broadcast or television broadcast. And the ones that follow those rules, I've always enjoyed. And so if he's able to do that and he's a professional broadcaster, I don't care where he came from. I don't care how tall he is or how short he is or how long he's been doing it or what he did beforehand. He's either a capable professional broadcaster or he's not. And I at least look at this as they didn't hire a former player and they didn't hire somebody from the boys club in Radio Town. So I like that they went outside. I like that they got a professional broadcaster. I like that they didn't go get some former athlete that doesn't have the chops. And so I'm excited to see what he can bring. And that's about all I got to say about him. Yeah, I mean, all I know about him is that he used to be a news guy and then he became... You know, a sports guy and and a, and a play-by-play guy out. You know, some baseball, just never done major league baseball. But that's okay. You don't you don't need to have done major league baseball to be able to do MLB play-by-play. Like you said, he just needs to be able to tell us what we need to know to enhance what we're seeing on the screen because he's a TV guy. And apparently, he gets along really well with Steve Stone, and that's that's you know going to be a good thing too. If they uh, they like each other, that'll make the broadcast that much better. Um, although if they absolutely hated each other, that would make the broadcast just as interesting. Wouldn't it? It would make it amazing. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> this episode of Socks in the Basement and every episode of Socks in the Basement brought to you proudly by Cork and Carrie at the park in the shadow of the ballpark, 33rd in Princeton. Stop in there right now. Have yourself a Kona beer on draft for five bucks and uh, if you have the Kona or you don't have the Kona, there's no purchase necessary to register for a trip to Hawaii. And who doesn't need that right now? In fact, I'm jealous that I can't win the trip, but I hope you win one and then you bring me as your guest. That would be amazing. The drawing is on March the 15th. Somebody's heading off to Hawaii. Some White Sox fan is going to truly enjoy themselves before the season begins. And uh, you can register over 33rd and Princeton at Cork and Carry at the park or at the original Cork and Carry in Beverly at 106th and Western Seymour at CorkandCarry.com. All right. I see... SoxFest is going to be announced as coming back next year. Now, this may not be happening. So I'm going to say right now, as we record this podcast, it is not official yet, but there's rumor and innuendo that they're going to announce heavy and bring rumors. it back. Yes. He- heavy innuendo. Heavy. It tells me that either they are the stupidest organization in professional sports or 
everything that we said about Chris Getz coming in, changing the inner workings behind the scenes, changing who's scouting the players, changing who's evaluating the players, changing who's who's developing the players, then going out and building his base around defense, and then and then saying, okay, these are our base players. We're not letting anybody into the major leagues unless they've proven themselves. And now we're going to start adding, and it's going to be late in the offseason, but we are going to add a couple of pieces, and we are going to add in the middle of the season, and we are going to build for a quick turnaround in 2025 when we have a ton of payroll flexibility, and that's why you don't see him committing to anything long-term because the 2025 offseason – is going to be filled with hope and excitement and probably a new manager and and all of that. And that's why they would go back in front of a crowd again. Because if they go back in front of a crowd to tell you that we're building to something and don't worry, by 2028, everything will be right again. That would be the worst thing they could possibly do. You would drive more fans away. They would just have a chance to tell you they were leaving to your face. So that's why I think that little piece of news tells me we're on to something here at Socks in the Basement about what the actual plan is and the timeline. Oh, yeah. I, there, there's no way that, they, that they're going to go through and do this as a rebuild thing because then why wouldn't you have done it this year? Why wouldn't you have said, new general manager, new direction, let's go. You know, what, what we're building to in the next few years is going to be amazing. And, you know, when, when the next crowd comes through and the next group of players that Chris Getz develops and his plan and his vision is going to be amazing and this rebuild is really going to work this time, you could have done that this year and put Getz out there and, and put Pedro out there to fumble through answering questions and, and all that. But, no, you're right. I, I think what's going to happen is is they're looking at – you know, the idea that Yohan Moncada's money is going to come off of the books. They're looking at the idea that there's going to be payroll flexibility coming up. You're you're going to have something built up. You're going to have some guys that are closer to the majors, or you're going to have some young guys that come up towards the end of this year that are going to be building into next year, plus some signings, plus some trades maybe. And, and there will be excitement, at least that's the plan. You know, this year is probably not going to be enough excitement for them to have pulled it off because let's face it, you know, there's just not going to be a huge line around the corner for Eric Fetty and Chris Flexen. Yeah, but they should have done something and it shows cowardice. I, I agree. It's, it's a cowardly act. And uh, the fact that they haven't done it in the last several years, uh, they even when they were trying to use the pandemic when nobody else was doing it. I mean, it's just the whole thing was cowardly. And it would be great to bring the thing back. And I hope that no matter what the hype is, when it actually comes back, fans, and I don't think White Sox fans forget anything, will still hold them to the fire. I don't think Jerry gets up on the stage oh, at that I, festival. I, I not, don't think you will see Jerry. Not a chance that Jerry shows up at that there festival. There won't even be like a cardboard <laughs> cutout of Jerry that you can take a picture by. No, because that thing would be destroyed before they got through no. day one, the things that people would be doing to the cardboard cutout. Uh, here, here's the thing. Uh, Pedro, in my mind now, has just gone from being just like, I don't know, little silly to utterly ridiculous. Supposedly now already talking about how Dylan Cease is his uh, opening day starter, a guy who they're going to move. And, uh, you know, you don't need to declare your guy the opening day starter before you've even made it to pitchers and catchers. He is such a patsy. He is being set up like a patsy. He's Lee Harvey Oswald going to the theater and waiting for the Dallas police to scoop him up and say that he shot JFK. He, he, he's become the guy that they're like, Hey, Pedro, it'd be great if you said this about Dylan, because uh, it would help us in our negotiations. And then he goes out and he does something and it's like, wow, he looks ridiculous out there. You know, in 2025, he will not be the manager on the stage. 
I will boldly tell you that right now. I do not believe it's going to happen. He is the patsy that won't be there to answer the questions. They're going to have whatever season they have out here. You're going to see new manager. You're going to see new players coming in. You're going to see new attitude. You're going to see we learned this and we learned that and blah, blah, blah. And then it's going to be what positivity can we throw out there to the fan base and let's go compete in 2025. I'm telling you, when I hear him say some stuff like, why do you need to declare a guy that's on the trade block that everybody in the country is talking about as the most valuable pitcher based upon his ability compared to the amount of money that he has to make in the next couple of years and and the fact that there's two years of team control and teams want him so bad. Why do you need to make that statement? I find it to be so odd, so weird. And I'm telling you again, he's just going to end up being the patsy. I said this on the last week, on one of the shows last week. Chris Getz is going to extend the goodwill that anybody has for him. I know not everybody has it for him. But he's going to extend it a little bit because he can just throw him under the bus for anything that goes wrong this year and then get the manager that he wants. And I just I, I know everybody goes, well, he's from Kansas City and gets he would, you know, that's all he wants is Kansas City guys. I think that you're you're mistaken on that one. I don't think this is the guy long term at all. He didn't pick him. No general manager likes to be handed a guy that he didn't pick. And it just seems like every time he does something, it's always the worst comment. It's always the silly thing that you sit there and you roll your eyes at. And that's the perfect patsy right now in this organization. I wish him luck with his team that can play defense and can't hit that hasn't even been put together yet. A little bit of a thaw outside over the last couple of days. You may be looking forward to spring. Pitchers and catchers are reporting soon, and you may be thinking to yourself, I need to do some new exterior windows or replace a door or do some patio doors or storm doors. Look no further than Window and Door Superstore of Oak Forest, where there are no high-pressure sales. They are not showing up and walking through your home and tracking mud through the house. I got a lot of mud in the front of the house with the boys. They're not in your kitchen. You're in their showroom with a full example of everything that you want to see. Glass designs on display, no pictures in a book. You see everything in person with an owner in the showroom and one on site when they do the job with all of their own installers. They don't farm out the work. They've been doing it this way for 40 years. In Oak Forest since 1985 with all major brands custom made, no stock items. That way you get a perfect fit. They're a half block east of 159th and Ridgeland. See Window and Door Superstore of Oak Forest at 6280 159th Street and get a glimpse of what you're going to see there at windowdooroakforest.com. You have thoughts on Pedro. I want to give you a chance. Well, and there's two things that come to mind about that. One is he was asked a question at the same time about what does he think of the moves that Getz has made so far. And his answer was this sort of babbling non-answer about how, you know, the great thing is, is that Getz is not ever done and, and, you know, he's really building to something here. But he, he couldn't answer specifically to sit there and say, look, I'm excited. We're going to try and, you know, we're going to really work on run prevention and, and we're going to play good defense or something. You know, no specifics, right? It's just sort of like, oh, yeah, Chris Getz, good guy. You know, he's a, you know, he's, he's doing the old Bill Brasky SNL thing like, Bill, but Chris Getz, what a guy. <laughs> you know, a and guy. That's, that's what? all he's given us. <laughs> and, and, and the other thing is, is that, you know, I'm reading an article. Grady Sizemore is on the White Sox coaching staff, but he's just a major league coach, right? He's not a he's not the outfield first base coach. He's not anything in particular. But the reason why he's here is because your assistant general manager watched him up close 
working with Diamondbacks players before he came over from Arizona, saw how guys respond to him, saw the baseball acumen, saw what this guy is. And they're building a coaching staff of guys that are smarter than Pedro, that they like better than Pedro. And there's an even there's even a chance that you could sit there and, and make the case that come midseason, if they're floundering. Grady Sizemore is manager in training. Is that what you're trying to put out there? Is that I, I, I'm saying that I'm saying that Barfield and Getz are building a coaching staff away from Pedro Grafol, okay, of guys that they trust. And the reason they're doing that is because they could get rid of Pedro at any second and bring in their own guy and bring in and bring in guys that they like. And you can forget the Kansas City thing, the, the, that pipeline. I mean, whatever you want to say about about the amount of Royals that have been moved over. But th- th- there's there's just there's just nothing in my mind that that sits there and says that your general manager and your assistant general manager are looking at this coaching staff going who meshes well with Pedro because they're even just adding guys onto the coaching staff that they're sitting there going like, look, we just think that this guy's going to work better with the players. And we're not even really worried about where he fits on Pedro's staff because we don't really, I don't think they really care what Pedro says. No, I don't think, I don't think they, they do. All right. Let's, let's, let's take a look at the free agent pool currently right now, because I believe that the white Sox, who still have room, realistically in their payroll. I mean, I understand if they're not going to be a really high payroll this year. I get that. You want to keep as much payroll flexibility as possible. But if you look at the... They're not signing Cody Bellinger. But if you look at the money that's coming off the books, especially Moncada, but I mean, you you have a couple guys you can buy out here at the end of the year if you've decided this is not the direction we want to go in, right? So you have an awful lot of payroll flexibility already for 25 and you can go out and sign some guys either one-year deals or couple-year deals if you think that they're long-term solutions. And I'm looking at guys that are still floating out there with only a couple of weeks left to go before pitchers and catchers that I think are easily signable by this team and that barring a trade of Dylan Cease, which addresses some of these problems, they should be going out and signing these players. And to be honest with you, some of them are one-year deals here. That you should go sign and they're not blocking anybody because if you do pull off a trade and you do move Dylan Cease at some point during the season, these guys can be pushed out of the way. And so what I want to look at is an infielder, an outfielder, and a pitcher. An infielder, an outfielder, and a pitcher that are sitting out there right now that I don't think break the bank, that I think immediately make your team better, that I think puts pressure on other players that are on this team that need pressure on them, right? And gives you options if, for some strange reason, you catch a lightning in a bottle and you actually start playing well. Like, imagine if defense and young pitching that doesn't know any better actually turns out to be the recipe in a really bad division. They have you at the halfway point of the season, sitting like two games over 500, and like, I don't know, three, four games out of it. And you're sitting there saying to yourself, like, ooh, we, we really, I mean, we're not winning a World Series this year, but why not have some fun this summer? Like, you can rebuild or you can build, let's say just build or change or shape your team and still be competitive during it. This idea that you need to suck at while you put the team together and then you just flip a switch and the team is good. I think that's flawed and I think it's been proven over the last 10 years or so, not only on the White Sox, but on multiple teams. It just doesn't work that way. So I look at this and the first guy I want to mention is Gio Urshela. Yes. 
Right? Yes. Like, I look at Gio Urshela right now, and I look at all the infielders that are sitting around still without a job. And I look specifically at third baseman. And you see Matt Chapman, we're not going to go get a guy with a 7-6 war over the last two years. We're not going out and getting 39-year-old Justin Turner. You don't want to get a third baseman that wants to play third base every day, right? But a Gio Urshela is a third baseman who's 32 years old that hits for a high average. I mean, it's the guy that hits in the high 200s. I think he hit 299 last year. Is that what he did? 299, I believe. No, no, I got it right here. He hit 299 last year for the Angels. Okay, yeah. 299 with a 703 OPS. The year before, he had a 767 OPS and hit 285. All right? He doesn't bring a lot of power. I understand that. But his defensive runs that he he saves, he's actually more effective at third base than Luis Robert in center field, according to the metrics. Like, he is a defensive third baseman who's capable of playing equal to replacement level without giving up any runs to actually a positive defense at short and second base. Now, I understand that you want to be defensive and you want to have Paul DeYoung over there at short because he's the placeholder until Coastal Montgomery gets here, but you haven't solved your second base problem. He wouldn't be the worst thing in the world to have rotating around your infield. He could spell Moncada. He could spell Nicky Lopez. He could spell DeYoung when he needs to. And he also is the guy that if Moncada isn't playing well and you've grown tired of a guy that you know you're getting rid of at the end of the year with a buyout, you can replace Moncada with a guy and make a statement to the rest of your team that we're not going to let this guy sit out there for 162 games and blame a tweak that he's feeling this week. And that's the guy I would go outside because he's a guy that isn't going to command a lot of money and is going to play replacement level or better offensively, and he's going to be an upgrade defensively wherever you go and you put him. To me, it's the most no-brainer free agent signing here with a couple of weeks left to go, a guy that's floating out there that I don't see any team interested in whatsoever, and I, I don't know why. Maybe it's because he doesn't hit the long ball. He had 21 home runs in 2019. He had six in the shortened season in 2020, 14 and 21, 13 and 22. He only got 62 games with the Angels last year. So he only put up two home runs. But I'm telling you right now, I take the glove. I take the ability to hit the baseball. I take the fact that he's going to, at worst, be not a hindrance to your offense. He bats towards the bottom part of your order, and he plays good defense, and he can move around all the way. I would take that guy over anybody that I got sitting in the minor leagues right now that were like, oh, we want to see if Romy can give it another shot. I I, I would take Gio Rochella right now. I take that experience at third base because, worst case, he could be your third baseman if Mancata doesn't do what Mancata keeps promising he's going to do. Because, by the way, he's in the best shape of his life again. He's He he doesn't have any injuries. Injuries were the problem for everything. I just read this this week, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. He, he's he's saying he he's saying he's in the best shape of his life. Oh, yeah. And the back, the back is, yeah, the back isn't a problem. The legs aren't a problem. Yeah. The oblique's not. Nothing's a problem with Yohan Mancata going into spring training. And then on the other hand, you've got Andrew Benintendi, who's trying to eat his way into thickness. <laughs> I love that. The Italian guy's eating all the pasta and bread he could get his hands on. I mean, it's eating fun is to, fun, it's, in, in right, his words. It's fun to do, but I, I mean, I don't know if him being thick is going to prevent him from dropping balls in the outfield, so I, I don't understand that at all. But Gio Urshela is a guy that I'm sitting there saying to myself, this would be a nice addition of a player who's an action. We've talked about this before. Bring in real baseball players and make these other guys fight for a job. And you need, if you really want to change culture, have professional baseball players that actually professionally play the game of baseball. I I know that he's not a superstar. I know it's not what I want for a team to go and compete. 
but I, he does not hinder you. He does not block anything that you're going to be worried about. He gives you an awful lot more options, and he puts pressure on guys that need pressure put on him. And, and also, let's be honest, there is no guarantee that Nicky Lopez is the answer at second base all year long, and there is no guarantee that Lenin Sosa is going to be able to come up and, and perform, and there is no guarantee that you won't be tired of Paul DeYoung standing over there at shortstop, and, and, and you don't have Colson Montgomery ready yet. Okay, and there's no and there's definitely no guarantee that Yohan Moncada is not going to tweak his back with a week to go in spring training. And we're going to hear all about that or tired legs or some other issue that he's having. His neck is tired from all the chains. I don't know what it is, but he's going to have some issue. I know coming out of spring training and it's going to be the excuse for the entire year. Lopez is probably the one guy that that has shown a little bit of consistency in terms of being a mediocre bat and a good defender. Uh, DeYoung may not hit at all. Like, he may not hit enough to warrant being in the lineup. I don't care how good no. his shortstop defense no. is. No. And, and Mankata can't stay healthy. And, and even by – he even admits it that he can't stay healthy. And he, until proven otherwise, yeah, it would help to have someone who can stand over at third base and play the game. And like you said, the the thing – I and I, I, I love the idea of Urshela – is the fact that he can move around and and you know the assumption is I I have not said seen anything or heard anything that suggests that he's not recovered from the injury that he had last year that kept him off of the 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 field for the Angels but his his presence just as a professional bat and a professional defender would make it so that if Brian Ramos can't stand at third base, if Lenin Sosa cannot stand over at second base and perform at a major league level, you're not sitting here going, what are we going to do? Or sitting here trying to, to, to piece together a team with, you know, Zach Remillard, or like you said, Romy Gonzalez, who has yet to be Ben Zobra's 2.0, by the way. He played 37 games last year and he had six defensive runs saved, according to the fielding Bible. In comparison, Austin Riley, who was the fourth best in defensive runs saved, needed 159 games to do that for the Braves. Right. Socks in the basement listeners, here's the deal. When you combine State Farm Home and Auto Insurance, you save an average of $889. State Farm agent John Harrell is ready to help you combine your home and auto and save in the Chicagoland area. Give them a call today, 708-481-4500. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Average annual per household savings based upon a 2019 national survey by State Farm of new policyholders who reported saving by switching to State Farm. All right, so now I want to talk about outfield, specifically somebody who can play right field. And there's a guy that had his most powerful year of his career with the Twins, doesn't normally hit a ton of home runs, showing some power, plays good defense, and that's Michael A. Taylor. I would be bringing in him for his year 33 season. I understand that he's a 240 lifetime hitter. I understand that his OPS plus is slightly below the 100 level, which is league average. But I take his defense, and I take the fact that he was putting the ball out of the ballpark last year because he must have changed his approach a little bit, and I say for a one-year deal... Out in right field, especially if you still believe that you're going to get Kerstad from the Orioles, but it might take a little bit of time. It seems like they're really trying to find that young right fielder of the future. Fine, but I'd rather have him out there than Gavin Sheets. I'd rather have him out there than than Oscar Colas. 
There isn't an option on the White Sox right now that I'd rather have over Michael Taylor, who's sitting out there, and I think they could get at a very reasonable deal. I, in fact, I'll be honest with you, I can't believe they couldn't offer the money and the one year that Joey Gallo got to put him in right field. That was disappointing. Yeah, I, well, and and Gallo, it may be one of those things where I, I think there's a lot of teams that are looking at Joey Gallo going... Uh, what what is you know is he just the Paul DeYoung of outfielders like you know there's there's power <laughs> there but he's he not is. gonna he's not gonna put the bat on the ball nearly as much as he needs to offensively and 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 the defense is never gonna be a question for him but to your point about Taylor and and what what he's done I mean you know yeah he's he's not a he's not a sexy name right he never he had, had five been. he had five defensive runs saved last year playing the outfield okay yeah I mean he he. He, according to the Fielding Bible, one of the top 25 defensive outfielders in baseball. He So they, they keep saying that they want to have defense. They want to have a guy that can that can stand out there and at least field his position. And and offensively, like, look, you're not putting him in the middle of your order, but that wouldn't be a bad guy sitting seventh in your order. No, not at all. And, and again, what you're talking about is you're talking about a guy who's going to go out and catch the ball for sure, okay? Also has the ability to play center field, which is something that you sort of lack in backup. And you need roles. that. You need that. Because you do want to you do want to spell Luis Robert Jr. from time to time, okay? Even if the guy is healthy and, and stays healthy, you, you don't want to run him out there for 162 in a season where you're not really expecting to compete. Now, again, like you said, you catch lightning in a bottle – and you're you're leading the division, and obviously Luis Robert Jr. is going to be an important guy to have out there. But you're still going to want to have somebody else who can step out and play center field for him. And Michael A. Taylor fits that bill. He can play. He can be an everyday right fielder. He can be an everyday center fielder. And he will catch the ball. The balls will not fall between center field and right field if he's standing out there. There's no good reason to not be able to reshape your team while going out and actually playing some good baseball. And they need it. They, this team needs to do that. They, they cannot be a 100-loss team. I believe in my heart of hearts that they're not done. I believe that you're going to see them go get an outfielder. This is the guy that you go target, just like they need probably to add a guy like Urshela. If you if you end up signing Taylor and say you're going to carry him over into 25, you, you sign him for a couple you're of years. You're fine with that. He's a nice fourth outfielder. He's a wonderful fourth outfielder. He's the, he, he is a great fourth outfielder for you to have on a, on a contending team. Give him a two-year deal with a one-year option, and I guarantee this guy's going to sign with you. Okay. Plus, he's a former Royal. Thank so you. There's always former that. Royal. Also just played for the Twins. I'm telling you, this division sucks. There's absolutely no really reason. Does. There's no reason why the White Sox can't have some fun this year while they're building their culture. You don't build culture when your team is losing 100 games. Because you're never going to get anybody to buy into your system when you're losing all the time. So you got to find some way to win. So you still have to put a team out on the field. And this team is incomplete, Ed. That's my problem. The team right. is not ready to go out and play in a Major League Baseball season. And if you're going into a long-term rebuild and you're interested in draft picks, then I would get this move. But that's not what you're doing if you're telling me you're having Sox Fest in 2025. Here's the pitcher that I wanted to go get. You're going to laugh so hard at me because I'm looking at the pitchers that are still out there. Let's say that they're just looking for somebody that's going to come in and preach culture and teach them a thing or two, right? Somebody who their, their weird patsy manager would love. Somebody that could come in and just eat, let's say, around 150 innings for them this year and have a whip that's likely in the 1.2s, maybe even the 1.teens. And he's going to be the old man in the locker room. Can you guess who it's going to be? Oh, man. You're not talking about Rich Hill, are you? No, Zach Greinke. (laughs) 
Zach Greinke. I'm bringing in Zach Greinke. <laughs> oh, man. I am. I'm bringing in Zach Greinke for his 40-year-old season. I'm bringing him in. I'm bringing in a guy that last year had a, had a whip of 1.272. I always say if you're below 1.3, you're a good starting pitcher. He's still doing it, right? I mean, he was 2-15, and 15, but he was pitching for the Royals. Yeah, his his ERA was a, was a 5, but he's pitching for the Royals. In fact, his FIP was a little bit lower than his ERA. He ate up 142 innings. You want to teach guys how to pitch? Have a guy like that in your locker room with these young pitchers. A guy who will tell opposing batters, I'm going to throw the curveball now and strikes the guy out. A guy who will sit there and say, I'm going to throw an EFAS pitch just because I'm having a boring day. And to help me convince those out there that think that Zach Reinke is way too old, I'm going to bring in the Sox nerd right now. That's his music. Because the nerd is featuring a guy who got to the White Sox at about the same age. The Sox Nerd is brought to you by the Village of Lamont. Want to experience a downtown with real history, great eats and drinks, and green spaces filled with adventure? Visit the Village of Lamont. Shop, dine, drink, explore, and see everything they have going on this weekend and beyond. Visit LamontDowntown.com. Nerd, what do you got for me? Chris, you and Ed took a technology-induced trip down memory lane on a recent show, so I thought I'd do the same, minus the flash flood of battery acid. We recently marked the 40th anniversary of the White Sox acquisition of the late Tom Seaver, whom it can be argued is the greatest pitcher of all time. On January 23, 1984, the Sox selected Seaver as compensation for losing a type A free agent. The Mets only had themselves to blame for losing Seaver in the compensation pool, which was part of the settlement of the 1981 strike. The Mets left Seaver unprotected, figuring no one would take a 39-year-old right-hander with a hefty salary who had gone 9-14 in 1983. The Sox had a pick in this draft for losing pitcher Dennis Lamp to free agency following the 1983 season. Had the Mets done their homework, they would have known Sox general manager Roland Heeman had a move like this in him. A year earlier, Heeman had toyed with selecting Cubs pitcher Ferguson Jenkins in the same compensation pool draft. The White Sox didn't take Jenkins, but did wind up making a blockbuster deal with the Cubs for not taking Jenkins that left Cubs general manager Dallas Green saying he was, quote, relieved. There was no swap this time, and Seaver joined a rotation that included Lamar Hoyt, Floyd Baster, Richard Dotson, and Britt Burns. While he had misgivings about leaving the Mets, a team he had rejoined for 1983, Seaver eventually warmed to his first American League home. In retirement, Seaver spoke fondly of his days with the Sox, particularly his association with Ozzie Guillen. Tom Terrific had two excellent seasons on the South Side. He went 15-11 and 11 with a 3.95 ERA in 1984 and 16-11 with a 3.17 ERA in 1985. The highlight of Seaver's tenure with the Sox came on August 4, 1985, when he logged his 300th victory in a complete game effort at Yankee Stadium. Seaver's time in Chicago came to an end on June 29, 1986, when he was dealt by general manager Ken Harrelson to the Boston Red Sox for utility man Steve Lyons. Seaver was 33-28 and 28 with a 3.67 ERA, 17 complete games, and five shutouts in 81 outings for the Sox. His numbers could have been markedly better, considering he was on the losing end of a shutout a total of six times in 1984 and 1985, 
And he left with a lead that the bullpen blew six times in 1984. Beyond the numbers, though, having that iconic of a figure who still had gas in the tank on the Sox was really a cool thing. When Seaver pitched, there was a buzz in the yard, which was sorely needed during that dismal season of 1984. I touch on Seaver's time with the Sox through the eyes of the great Nancy Faust, former Sox beat writer Ed Sherman, and former Sox executive Dan Evans in a blog of mine, which is available at SoxInTheBasement.com. My zinger? The number 78 has been in the news for the Sox lately. Did you know, Chris, that the Sox have never had a player wear the number 78? They've had Luis Patino, Yomer Sanchez, and Will Oman wear 77, and Jose Abreu wear 79, but no 78s. Last year, Yolqui Cespedes wore 78 in spring training, but he is not listed on the Sox 40-man roster. The numbers aren't finalized on the Sox roster yet, but if I had to guess, 78 will be assigned to a non-roster invitee or a minor leaguer. That's it, Chris. More than you wanted to know about Tom Terrific, the 1980s free agent compensation pool, and the number 78. And just announced, SoxFest returns in 2025, January 24th and 25th. Mark your calendars, sharpen your pitchforks, and get those torches lit. Well, no, don't let the torches yet. No, yeah, you got to save those. Yeah, yeah, just <laughs> save the torches. Practice, practice with the torch. You, got, you don't want to go no, into it. Get the torches. You never want to go in with a torch that you've never used before. You want to get it broken in just a little bit. That's all I'm suggesting. Well, yeah, you figure out, figure out what what kind of cloth you have that's going to burn the longest. <laughs> what kind of accelerant you want to use. Hey, there's a lot of things. And teach your children proper torch usage, please. Torch safety is torch important. Safety, yes. Yes. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Heard everywhere podcasts can be found and always on socksinthebasement.com.